What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. We're talking a lot of football, a lot of quarterback play, a lot of quarterback accolades. Uh, we're going to talk about Mr. Drew Brees over in New Orleans. They um, are tied for the best record in the NFC. And he broke a paid man's record for the most touchdowns ever thrown by a quarterback. I'm going to talk about uh, where I think he ranks amongst the greatest of all time. We'll also talk about the Heisman Ceremony and Joe Burrow's uh, landslide victory uh, in, in that race. We'll also talk about um, some high school basketball um, regarding yeah. a, a very well high-profile high school basketball player um, whose dad happened to be a very high school, uh, high-profile high school basketball player back when he played as well. And we got Flames and Trash. We got Kendall's Court. It should be a good show. Join me. Is my co-host Kendall Stewart. Kendall, I'd be remiss not to mention. Obviously, we've had a lot of big moves with the free agency, MLB hot stove period. Uh, that does not include what the Mets have done. Um, they've gone uh, little moves with uh, Michael Waka and, uh, and and Rick Porcello, who they're, they're hoping two guys that could be kind of reclamation projects. Um, he's a, I didn't know he was just a Mets fan his whole life. I didn't even know he went, he grew up in New Jersey. I assumed he was from Latin America, uh, but really. Uh, yeah, American. Um, he's from New Jersey. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I always knew he was American. I, no, I, I, I didn't know. I never heard him talk. I've never <laughs> heard an interview with Rick Porcello this whole time. He's been pitching for almost ten years. Is that is that? I mean, I guess it's Latin. I I, always, I thought it was Italian. I thought he was a white dude, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Porcello. I mean, Por- I guess he'd be Italian. I don't know. But I assume he was Latin. But anyway, uh, yeah, those are moves that 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 aren't going to necessarily uh uh you know shatter the uh. Shattered the, the the breaking news banner or bring the breaking news banner out on ESPN. But um, there were some other news. Obviously, recently um, the Phillies made some more moves, signing DG uh, DD uh, uh, from the Yankees. DD Gregorius. Gregorius. I don't know why his last name. I was like I'm scared to go with it for right some now. reason. I was like, I'm gonna screw this up. Um, they obviously need to add along with Zach Wheeler. Your boy Madison Bumgarner, Kendall. R.I.P. Man, sad day. Leaving San Francisco, staying within the division, going to the Diamondbacks. That's the newest, one of the newest moves. Yuck. Um, Anthony Rondon is out of the NL East. I'm a pops from Champagne. He's going out west to uh, the Angels. Uh, he's a fantastic player, and he killed pretty much every team in the NL East. Uh, as you saw, NL East trending. That was because every fan base in the NL East was happy he was leaving Washington and going. Uh, not even leaving just the division, but leaving the uh, whole league. So uh, that was very good for for you see, uh, Did you see Joe Madden? Uh, this is a little off the radar, but Joe Madden was talking about uh, my guy Shohei Otani uh, was coming back from Tommy John. He said that he's gonna he's gonna have Otani batting even on the days that he's pitching. He should like he's, like he's gonna play every day in the lineup. Which, I, that's to me. That's what he should be doing. I, that's what I thought they were gonna do before. Right. I didn't know why they were doing it, how they, they wanted to rest him up or what, you know, whatever. But um, he's like, no, I mean, he's too easy. Basically, he's like too valuable to be taking out of the lineup. Yeah, time. and to me, like, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think hitting is that. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but I don't think four bats is going to kill you while you're pitching. The NL nationally yeah. pitchers do it every time they pitch. I mean, if anybody I would want to load manage it would be Otani coming off Tommy John, but you know, if they feel like he's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, to me, also, you can give him days off within like his field, like fielding day, his days when he's in the field. Like, you don't have to right. play him every single day. But yeah, I think I, I didn't understand why when he was pitching, he wasn't in the lineup. That didn't make any sense to me. But um, the other thing that was that was 
uh, big was obviously the the late the, the earliest move was Garrett Cole signing that massive three hundred million dollar deal with the New York and three hundred plus uh, with the three twenty four. It was yes. Um, I say that begrudgingly one because obviously uh, Cole's going to the Yankees, so now um, Degrom has competition for being uh, the best pitcher in the city. But also, uh, I say progressively because why did this dude have to sign like literally hours after I hit publish on our podcast? We did a whole segment on Cole last week and the dude about you know what money's gonna get, is it worth it? And sure enough, he didn't sign. Yeah, it. should he go to the Dodgers? Yeah, we talking about the Dodgers, <laughs> who the mystery team is. It was like all that stuff was nonsense, and this dude just blew up our whole show because of that. Well, not a whole show, but a segment. Yeah, I mean, we did talk about. If he went to the Yankees, what would that mean? I know, but, but it's like, come on, dude. Like, we waste the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why can't you be like, you know, Kawhi Leonard and take a whole week thinking about, you know, making teams ruin ruin their whole offseason plan while they're waiting for you? Um, that that would have been much better. But, but you know, shout out to Garrett Cole. I mean, that's a crazy deal. Um, I guess, yeah. I don't know if I, I to me, it, it only makes sense for the Yankees. Like, the Yankees, I think it makes sense. I think that. He's a great pitcher. I don't think there's any reason to believe that he, he's going to hit a wall or anything. I think he seemed to be in his prime now. Something and we didn't the win bring up. now, so it makes sense. Something we didn't bring up, and I, I saw a uh, shout-out to Peter Rosenberg, you know, uh, New York radio uh, personality, but he, he brought up um, the question of should Yankee fans be concerned about, you know, the Astros and their – you know, cheating mm-hmm. scandal, yeah. whether or not Cole's numbers were inflated on some level. I mean, I the, from what we know, obviously the, 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 the cheating was supposed to benefit their offense, not necessarily their pitching, but, you know, you always have to question, look, if some team is using it on one side of the ball, is it, you know, what's going to stop them from trying other things or similar methods on another side? So that's something that people have brought up. That's a great question. Um, look at Justin, like Justin Verlander, you know? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I know. Yeah, he was shot, and he went to Houston, and he was unhittable again. Um, that's a great question. I, I get it. I think, to me, the reason why I would not be as worried is two reasons. One, Cole's stuff was never the issue with him. Right, uh, he's the number one pick in the draft. Right, and he always had electric stuff. I know you say, okay, well, then why did he... And he had, and to be clear, he had good seasons in Pittsburgh. Maybe not before he got to um, Houston, but he had had an all-star season already, and he had put up good numbers there. I think, to me, the reason why I would uh, I would say I wouldn't be, I would be fine with it or not worried is because there are clear differences in how he was pitching in Houston compared to how he was pitching in Pittsburgh and why there's reason to believe that he, like, he found what works in Houston, not necessarily having anything to do with any potential cheating scandal. For example, one of the things they did was they said you have one of the most electric forcing fastballs in the game. Uh, it, it, it garners a lot of swing and misses. It's very tough to hit. His two-seamer is not that electric. In fact, it was very hittable. And it's something he is a pitch he threw very often when he was in Pittsburgh. When he got to uh, Houston, they told him, don't throw the two-seam fastball. It's not worth it. Just pound the hitters with the with the four-seamer and use more of your breaking balls, which were excellent. He just didn't really use them because he relied more on the sinker fastball in situations where maybe other pitchers would use a breaking ball. 
And seeing the dramatic shift in how he pitches based on prior to when he got to Houston and how that improved his game, I'm going to say that, okay, I'm going to believe that had more to do with it. I can't imagine that if he... If to me, if he was, if the cheating scandal was all that was helpful, then why did he have to change the way he was pitching? You know, clearly there was something wrong that he had to fix that he fixed. So even if there was some kind of advantage he got, I think that you'll still see a much better Garrett Cole uh, in New York than you did you ever saw it when he was in Pittsburgh. With barring any kind of injury, that's my take on it. I know he's going to a massive hitter's ballpark, whereas Pittsburgh was a pitcher's ballpark. But I, I think that he'll be fine. But that's just me. And he's pitching fine in Yankee Stadium, as the Yankees fans know very well, having seen him in the postseason. He, that's not been an issue. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. You know, but it is something to it is something to the I would say worry you, but consider. Absolutely. Um, I do want to start this show on a somber note. I don't, you know, obviously, we don't like somber notes, but I think we would absolutely be remiss not to. Talk about it. Uh, David Stern, as we speak right now, in serious condition regarding um, uh, stemming from a brain hemorrhage that he had last week. He had emergency surgery in Manhattan. Uh, NBA released a statement saying that he is surrounded by loved ones, but is indeed in critical condition, and he they are serious condition, and that uh, you know he wishes he's he's thankful for the well wishes his family, thankful for the for the well wishes, and we'll see what happens with him. But um. I mean, there's no to me, that, and I don't want to talk like he's dead because we're gonna hope that he 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 pulls through with this. But I think it it is important to say, it, man. Um, David Stern, man, is just a, a a a pillar in modern sports to me. When you think when you think about the the key figures in what sports looks like today compared to what it looked like forty years ago. Like uh, David Stern, his name has to be mentioned almost immediately. Like his importance to the growth the international growth of sports and i say sports because i feel like what he did with basketball is now being trying is being replicated by football and i think baseball took elements of what he was doing to help continue to grow its game internationally it already was international international game a little bit before he even um started globalizing basketball but he certainly um his impact is, is, is so felt in the, the TV deals, the international TV deals, um, the different kind of innovations to the game. It's, it, 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 and, you know, by almost all accounts, just a decent person. So uh, I wish David Stern well. Ken Long, if you want to say any words before we move on, but I just want to make sure we shout him out and say our prayers are with him and his family. Yeah, I mean that, that was obviously it was, it was shocking news. It was tough news, but um, like I said, we hope that, uh, you know, when you listen to this, hopefully he's uh, he's in better shape than he is right now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think you know the the, the industry uh, of sport. I mean, I like there was a a conference um, in Philadelphia like two three weeks ago. Seventy uh, six capitalists, of venture capitalists, uh, sports technology uh, industry. Uh, and, uh, or not, com- uh, it's a company and, uh, David Stern, I, I wasn't there, but, um, someone who's connected to Temple, uh, who he's, he spoke to, he spoke to some students at Temple, uh, Wayne Kimmel, who runs the company, uh, he ran this event. David Stern was, was at that event like two, three weeks ago. So yeah. it's crazy to think that, you know, obviously his condition has, has, 
uh, I mean, this is a sudden thing. It wasn't like, you know, he'd been sick. No. But it's still just, I mean, it's still shocking for it to have gotten to this point. But um, like you said, I mean, he's the, his, 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 his impact in the sport industry has been, uh, you know, been profound. Like you mentioned, um, the globalization of the game, you know, uh, the, the, the marketability of, of, you know, professional athletes, um, you know, he's, he's had an effect on all of that. And, you know, you hope that, uh, we know his legacy is always going to live, but, you know, we hope that, you know, uh, he can, he can, uh, bounce back from this. Yeah, man. Um, you know, obviously this is, uh, very sudden, obviously what happened. And, and again, I, I, I just continue to send my prayers and my thoughts with his family and, um, and yeah, his, his, his lasting impact and legacy on sports is profound and, and it'd be, it's, it would be great to have him around with us to see the future, the, at least see some of the future that he helped, uh, put us in, uh, or put us through. So shout out to David Stern big time on this, uh, on this, uh, this week's show. But I, I want to move focus from Hoops for a second and talk a little football because Drew Brees had um, a, a, just a remarkable night last night. Um, I watched almost the entire game. I know some of you guys are saying, why? Yeah, so, so again, I knew you were going to ask. I know everybody at home is asking, why did EJ watch? I'll be honest. You know, it's finals week at Temple University, so I, you know, working on my own stuff. But I, like, I kind of like, Blinked that. I saw it like, oh, there was a, there was a Saints Colts game. I was like, I don't even know who was playing. So I knew Kendall, like many of the audience, would ask, "How the hell did you watch Saints Colts in Week 15, <laughs> Monday Night Football, with the Colts pretty much out of contention now, officially out of contention with that loss, and the Saints heavy favorites?" Well, I'll give you a short story. Um, Drew Brees and Michael Thomas are on my fantasy team, and I was 60 points down. All right, and. 60 points seems insurmountable with a, only, even with a quarterback and a wide receiver out there. But considering it was Drew Brees and Michael Thomas against the Colts, anything was possible. And sure enough, I was yeah. right because I closed the gap and cut the lead to, I think, about 12 points or 13 points. That was the final deficit I ended up losing by. And they pulled Drew Brees in the fourth quarter. So That's tough. Yeah. I, if they would have kept throwing and really kept going for it. They also took a touchdown off the board. For a terrible offensive pass in the first call. Um, so it was a rough night for me, though I did get close to making up a surmountable, insurmountable, what seemed like an insurmountable deficit and uh, advanced to my fantasy football championship. That did not happen. But even despite the fact that I knew the chances were odd, they were, excuse me, were slim, that he would, that I would make up this deficit with the way um, things were going, I still watched because watching Drew Brees last night, he was just so remarkable and obviously he broke the record for the most. You know, most touchdowns of all time. He was 29 for 30, uh, which, you know, set the record for the, the greatest completion percentage in an NFL game, which to me, 29 for 30, that, I mean, that's that's Madden NCAA football type numbers. Yeah. I, mean, I, when I, saw I feel the, like I've done that in, like, Madden. Like, I've never seen that in a real game. Madden, you have to be playing on rookie. But, <laughs> um, but it was funny that, like, I, like, when I saw the highlight of him breaking the, the, the Peyton record, like, 
you know, they like before the play, like they're showing Breeze and Sass. I see twenty six for twenty seven. I'm thinking like, I'm like squinting because it's like it's on my phone. I'm thinking I'm like is like it's twenty six for twenty seven. You know, in the red zone, went <laughs> up by a certain amount of points. Like, and then I realized like, no, this is just the game. Like, that was his wait, game. Those are his game numbers. I've never seen that before. I mean, and he's forty like, years old. I mean, we we like to marvel at Tom Brady. And we have we should. Tom Brady yeah. is a remarkable athlete, but this guy is forty years old doing this, and. And he's even more prolific. Like, yeah, Brady is absolutely. just as much, you know, just as much of, just as productive in terms of winning games. But in terms of, like, just the sheer, like, numbers. The volume and, like, of his numbers. Yeah, yeah, the volume of his numbers. I mean, Breeze is above anybody. Yeah. I mean, know, Bra- almost in the league. Yeah, Breeze puts league. up numbers like the young guys. Your Mahomes, you know, your, your young like yeah yeah seriously i mean that's how great he is maybe russell wilson yeah i guess russell wilson but i mean like like that's what's crazy about it at 40 years old he is competing at that that kind of level i was gonna i was gonna mention lamar jackson though i don't know if people think of him as a prolific thrower even though he's had a great season run in terms of you know touchdowns yeah the 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 volume of the numbers absolutely the fantasy numbers you know the guy that can put up 30 night 30 40 fantasy points on any given night exactly Brady's not that guy. Unfortunately, I know because I don't want a fancy team, and I was I started Kyler Murray plenty of weeks. Yeah, and that's not to say that Brady is not an all time great quarterback, arguably the greatest quarterback ever. But that's just not to say he's not making the case. Top five quarterback now or top three quarterback now. Yeah, it's different. But yeah, what Breeze does is different, man. And to me, I sat there watching this, and people kind of scoff at Drew Brees when you talk about him being amongst the greatest of all time. But I saw the video this morning as I woke up. Of Teddy Bridgewater, you know, like it was a funny video. He just like he has hands up, like didn't know what to say. He's like, Drew Brees the goat, man. Drew Brees the goat. And I sat there, and obviously I don't, I won't say obvious. I don't even want to say obviously. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. But I will say, I don't think there's a reasonable argument for anyone to say that he's not at least top five. Really? I will give you. Brady, because of the rings. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brady's an obvious name you got to put up there. He's coming on I, Peyton Manning, man. I'm I sorry. Just, I, 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 he's approaching Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning has two rings and was a slouch in the last one. And the career <laughs> numbers, there's no difference. He's, he's passing numbers. Peyton Manning some of these career numbers. See, I feel like career numbers are great. But, but it ain't like, level. but Kendall, he but ain't like this level. guy is a lifetime achievement award. He's throwing for five thousand yards every year. But on some le- on some level, career numbers like I, I still have to look at a guy at their peak, and just Peyton Manning at his peak, I put ahead of <laughs> put ahead of Drew Reeves at his peak. And that's not a disrespect to Drew Reeves, but are you really telling me that you would take Drew Reeves at his peak ahead of ahead of Peyton Manning? And then when you bring in the fact that look, it's not like Peyton Manning was a was a one year wonder or a slouch. Like his peak was a peak for eight, nine, ten years. I, I don't know. My answer to That's, your question is no, but my counter argument is if I gave Drew Brees, Marion Harrison, and Reggie Wayne, how would he look playing in a dome just like Peyton Manning did for all those years? That's tough. Because that's the thing about because to me that's the one thing about Drew Brees that I think gets very underrated. Michael Thomas is the best receiver he's ever had, and he just got him. 
but he's he's not, not like this. He's, I'm, I'm not he's saying he's played with bones. Had no weapons. I'm not saying like that. Brady has had years where he's had no weapons. But but Kendall, I'm not I'm, I'm not here to, to to put any kind of disrespect on Peyton Manning's legacy. Let me make that very clear to the view to the listener. I'm just saying it's remarkable that with Peyton Manning on almost all these years we had these monster numbers. You could look and see who he had on the outside. Okay, well, he had great receivers. And it's oh, not a disrespect. I'm not, and because he made some slot receivers who were nobodies into great players. So I'm not saying that he was made by these guys. I'm just saying, it's no one would argue that Reggie Wayne in a vacuum, Marvin Harrison in a vacuum, those guys are Hall of Fame players, regardless of who they ever would have played with. They're great players. Breeze, up until Michael Thomas, never had a guy like that. Marcus Colson was an undrafted player from Hofstra. That was his best receiver for a lot of years. He had good players, but not your elite, elite type of wide receivers. So when I'm talking about the greatest quarterbacks of all time and what they've done within what they do, you're telling me his best receivers have been Michael Thomas, Marcus Colson, and Brandon Cooks. And he put up those numbers, those career numbers for his entire career. He has more touchdowns than Peyton Manning. I'm going to have a discussion whether or not Peyton Manning deserves to be ahead of Drew Brees. I am. We also get, I mean, now, the last thing on Peyton is that, like, even when he was in Denver, I mean, I mean, look, he had, what, Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker, and who's the tight end, Julius Thomas? Like, I mean, and dude, dude threw for 50-plus touchdowns. He also had Wes Walker. Yeah, Wes Walker as well. That's fair. But who's the running back? No Sean Marino? I mean, I, you know, I just, I don't know. Peyton, I can't say Peyton Manning. He is close. Um, and I said, and I made it clear. I made, I made it clear. I'm giving, I'm giving you Peyton. I, I said that in the beginning. Talk about that. Breeze didn't win with a lot of these guys. You know, like he. I mean, he did. He does have a Super Bowl, obviously. He has a Super Bowl. Like, you know, and his. But, remember, think about what New Orleans was before Drew Breeze got there. They were not. They were nothing. They were. They were like the Knicks. <laughs> I mean, they were. I mean, they were. Could not get themselves out of a paper bag. Could not manage themselves. Could not themselves out of a paper bag. Man. Can't can't pass like Aaron Brooks. <laughs> you know, I mean, Aaron Brooks was the guy. I mean, you know? so you went from Aaron Brooks to this sustained level of of high end competition, playing being played at the Mercedes Superdome after decades. Of nothing. And like I said, it's not like this team came in when Breeze got there and said, okay, we got Drew Breeze, but we're also going to put him around elite talent. That never happened. Never had an elite running back. Never had an elite receiver until a couple years ago with Michael Thomas. Never had an, oh, well, okay, the only thing he did have, he did have an elite tight end. Jimmy Graham in his prime, without question, 100% an elite tight end. But that was the only skill level position, Graham and, and, and Thomas are only two skill players he's ever had that have been elite. And yet, uh, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of his 14 seasons in uh, in New Orleans winning seasons. And these aren't winning seasons by like eight, nine, nine, nine and seven. I mean, this is season where they're winning 13, 11, 11, 13, 14, you know, 12, like the big numbers. And and also, let me add, maybe besides last season, never had a defense. That's fair. You no, know, Peyton Manning had Von Miller in that last Super Bowl. If he didn't, he wouldn't have a Super Bowl ring right now. 
Tom Brady's at, we know, he's had defenses his entire career, basically. And that's been a great help to him. Like, when I'm talking about the greatest quarterbacks of all time, I got to put all those things in perspective. And when I put all the things that was working against Drew Brees and consider what he accomplished, and those are two guys that I'm giving you, and we haven't even talked about nobody else. Look, I mean, because you can't compare, you just can't compare the stats of the guys now to the guys back then. And I I get that. But I I, I think Montana's numbers, they're going to look, they look average amongst, like, Montana's numbers now are like, would be compared to, you know, Jameis Winston and, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, like average quarterback. I, and I told, I do agree with that. Um, but I don't, but I don't do that. When when I'm comparing quarterbacks though, I'm comparing them based on what elite was during their time of play. Like, I don't think, like, I know what you're saying. I don't think of it as, cause that's unfair. Like I can't compare. Okay. Well, yeah. Like, the game was played differently. So, ha, ha, Joe Montana, your numbers suck compared to Drew Brees. Therefore, you're not better. I'm putting Joe Montana ahead of Drew Brees, to make it clear. Um, that's I mean, three quarterbacks. How many Super Bowls? He has, he has like, you know, four like, Super Bowls. Um, again, just if you look at how the game was played, like, the game changed when Joe Montana came around. Um, so, I think he's without question ahead of Drew Brees. After that... You're gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna be hard pressed to find me another quarterback. I, I would say that was yeah. I mean, now the conversation, you know, you got Elway, you got Marino, Elway, Marino, Favre, Favre's in there. You know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is gonna have a, he's gonna be like people will mention Aaron Rodgers A-Rod, by the end of his career. Yeah, will certainly be there, and it should be in the conversation. Yeah, now, he's in the conversation but, now. I wouldn't put him over, but I'm saying people would definitely mention Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'll tell I you don't, what. I, I think I can't say I'm taking two more of those guys over what Drew Brees has done. This guy he has not, the most touchdowns of all time, the most yards in a season ever. Like at a certain point, you got to just admit, yo, man, this guy was nice. <laughs> like I, I don't see, I don't know why there's been this hesitation to give Drew Brees his flowers. The man deserves it. He's had a remarkable okay. career. Tell you what, this guy's not in the, he's not in the in this conversation necessarily, but it's slightly off topic. But I was watching uh, some Steve Young film. From back in the you know from back in the nineties today, and Steve Young could go, man. Oh yeah, I mean, oh he's a great you know, player, great player. I mean Reggie White, well, he got to him a couple of times, but you know he, I mean the guy had wheels. The crazy thing about Steve Young is I feel like Young is like, I think I think Young might be the most underrated quarterback of all time because if Young would have played in this era, oh man, oh yeah, he would be crazy. But he like, but like, what's crazy about Young to me is Young. Like I feel like if you like I didn't I was not young enough to see I was too young rather to see Steve Young before he won a Super Bowl, but those years before he won a Super Bowl might have been his best years. Like yes, the year I was watching him was ninety one. Right. If you look at the years after Montana left, the numbers he was putting up and what he was doing on tape, it was absurd. He was like to me he was like Aaron Rodgers, and yeah. and like but but because they like couldn't get over. The hump, the Dallas hump during that time, like they kind of got lost in the shuffle, and then he won a Super Bowl, and like the decline kind of came. He was still a good player; it wasn't like he fell off a cliff. No, <laughs> not to make a joke about Max Elman. but like, but then like the design, the decline came, and then he got hurt, and then his career was over. But like, because his best years only accounted for one ring, and it was the last of his best years, I, I just think that for some reason his career 
ends up getting lost in a shuffle because between 93 and 91, that dude was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, they just had to have been said in this segment since we were talking about great quarterbacks. For sure. But, Shout out to but Steve, yeah, though. But, I mean, look, if you go through the names, I mean, Breeze is, he's somewhere between four and six, I would say, right now. And it's still, it's going to be tough to crack the top three, but if he wins the Super Bowl this year, he wins the Super Bowl this year, I may be the guy saying he's better than Peyton. I may be, and, I don't know. Uh, there are circumstances, I, obviously. Yeah, that and that, and I know, I know. I, trust me, I have friends who love Peyton Manning. It would drive them insane for me to say that. But to me, the the numbers and the circumstances don't lie. I don't I think just, anyone would argue that Peyton Manning's had better talent than Drew Brees has had, and but, nobody would argue that uh, Drew Brees has more better numbers than him career wise. He does. <laughs> so, and they played in similar errors. I would just love to see what Peyton Manning would do in his prime playing. In today's NFL, and he's put up great numbers. I, he, I mean, he's put up crazy numbers before. I'm saying, how much better could he have been? He was playing. Like, he was playing the way guys are playing now. He was playing like that six, seven years ago. I just feel like I don't know some of these crazy, some of these crazy offensive coordinators. Like I don't know. I just, I just feel like there was. I'm not saying there was another level. Maybe there would have been. Maybe there isn't another level. But I, you just, you just never know. And not even necessarily because we did see, like you said, moments of where he basically played in this era. But like, yeah. I wish like his career would have happened like five years later, right? Because then like those years, I mean, early in his career, he probably just wasn't. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I can imagine his numbers weren't. He wasn't throwing for forty touchdowns in '99 or 2000. You know, it was a different NFL. So, but if if his career is, I mean, look at like Mahomes. When he retires, assuming he ascends to where we think he will ascend for, and he has the same time of longevity, his numbers are going to look ridiculous. Because he's going to throw for 50 touchdowns every year. Like, if he stays healthy. You know, Aaron Rodgers' numbers are ridiculous. But, the, like, the one thing, it's different. The one thing I think Peyton, the one thing that would make it hard for me to put Breeze over Peyton is unlike when I said how, you know, Breeze had, you know, Eight of the fourteen years, eight of the thirteen years, or however many times he's been in New Orleans, they had winning records, went to the playoffs, went deep into the playoffs. The crazy thing about Peyton is, almost every year his team was going to the playoffs. It was the best team in the NFL. Like we look at his career record as quarterback of just a quarterback period, but even quarterback of just the Colts, one hundred forty-one and sixty-seven, and only two losing seasons: his rookie year and then two thousand and one. I mean, every year of the year, they won at least 10 games. And they were comfortably in the playoffs. Like, they were in the NFC, the AFC South. They were in the AFC South. That, But, yeah, and Breeze was in the NFC South. That, and it was an NFC South, which was notoriously very competitive to the point where almost anybody could win it. So that is an interesting I mean, point. yeah, Peyton had, I mean, look, he had the Houston Texans for a long time, which were. That was, they, 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 he beat them every time. Yeah, like every he, I think he, I don't know if he lost them when he was in Indianapolis. He might have lost them once or twice. <laughs> right. There was a year. There was years where he did not lose to them. Like it was like six years in a row. Right. So it's an interesting conversation, in my opinion. 
And I know we harped on Peyton and, and what's the name because that's where I stopped. Where I said, okay, I'm gonna start thinking now who I'm putting ahead of Breeze after Manny, after Brady, literally. Um, and actually, to me, I would have, I would have put Montana ahead of Peyton, so Montana would have been next. Then in the third spot, I, now I'm thinking about who I'm putting there. And I just again, I think Breeze deserves a lot of credit. I I love rooting for him. I hope that he gets a, a Super Bowl. My team's out of it, so I don't have no stake in it. So to me, man. If Reeves can ride off into the sunset and get another ring, it would be, it would be you know well suited, especially after what happened last year. Because then we don't mention the weird stuff of how he lost in the playoffs. You know the freaking pass interference. You know the guy can't tackle <laughs> Stephon Diggs. Like he also had a lot of bad yeah, luck, <laughs> like a lot of terrible luck, <laughs> to the point where I, like he may have three or four more rings that like just guys tackled, or made field goals, or you know didn't, or they would the referees would have called pass interference. So uh, it just it, it, he's had a kind of a remarkable career, uh, Cinderella story, and to me, like it's kind of ironic that that is also part of it. That like as great as he's been, he may have actually have had a more illustrious career if things that had nothing to do with him would have went a different way. Anyway, um, staying with quarterbacks, Joe Burrow's Heisman Trophy winner, that wasn't surprising. Landslide, that wasn't surprising. I think what was surprising, I think, was the fact that it's the biggest landslide of all time. I, I don't think people. I don't think necessarily everyone thought that was going to happen. Is it's weird because like I think all all I think that means I think the Heisman voters are getting more intelligent. So I think that they, <laughs> there's no disrespect that's, to the that's previous, nice. but you're getting more intelligent about how to vote, and because I just. There have been years where it's been obvious, and those guys just haven't won it for whatever reason, or they've won it, but they just haven't won. They haven't gotten it as unanimously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and Burrow. I mean, look, Burrow really planted his flag last week and made it fairly obvious that he should win it. As someone, I mean, I'm someone that picked Justin Fields to win it last year or or before the year, and I, even I would admit that. Burrow by far should have deserved this award. And I mean, look, these are there, are, and I say this saying, you know, these voters have gotten more intelligent. With with that being said, there were people, there there were people that were voting Tua for the Heisman. The like, Tua got a Heisman vote. Yeah. Why? Jonathan Taylor got like five. Who's voting for Jonathan Taylor for Heisman? <laughs> like they have to start naming these people. If you put, if you really want to be a Heisman voter, put your name behind the vote. We can't have these anonymous votes. These people putting these ridiculous votes and not not getting any flack for it. Because Joe Burrow, like, he should have been a unanimous Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. If you're, someone voted for Trevor Lawrence. Like, if you're gonna vote for anybody, and their name wasn't Justin Fields or Chase Young or Jalen Dr- Hurts, even Jalen Hurts, I don't know. I don't know. But, and Jalen Hurts, I think, finished second, which I thought was a little strange. But if they weren't those three names, I didn't want to see anyone else getting a first place vote. Now, that's atrocious to me. It's an embarrassment. Yeah, it was bad. Um, and to think, I'm not frustrated over, like, five votes. I know. Six probably in total. And when this guy was the, big, was the biggest landslide in years past, in, 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 all, of the, in all of history, Imagine how it would have felt probably about the Reggie Bush year. I mean, it's probably. I mean, I'm sure Vince Young got plenty of votes. It, probably people voted for Matt Liner. That probably would have frustrated me. Jay Cutler probably got a vote 
I probably would have lost my mind. Yeah, to me, it's... So, I mean, this conversation went somewhere I didn't expect, but this is kind of fun. Um, so, before, I think the reason why you didn't see... You, you, I think you're seeing more landslides in recent years is because back in the day, like, that's why the whole... It was literally almost like a presidential election. Right, like, very regional. Yeah, right? it was very regional. Like, who did well in the South was based on, like, who <laughs> played in the South. Because, like, right. it was what you watched. So, like... Like, a guy, like, who was, even whether you were covering a team or covering a, a conference or even if you were, you know, a commentator who watched at home or you're a player who maybe lives in Texas or lives in, in on the East Coast, like, you're going to be more preppy to watching, seeing the guys you saw and saying, well, yeah, that guy at West had a like, great year. Won the Heisman in, like, the, the East. <laughs> but, like, yeah. Martin, like that's all something ridiculous. Yeah, there, yeah, there are, like, it really was, like, like a presidential election almost. Like, that's how it kind of worked. Now, with, like, streaming services, with, like, a million TV channels, like, there's no excuse not to know who the best yeah, player is. Yeah, national TV. Regardless of where you are. The way these the conferences schedule their games so that they're the primetime game of each TV slot. Exactly. Like, you can see every You can watch Joe Burrow and watch Justin Fields and watch... You, like, you watch all time zones, every team. You know, the Pac-12, the Big Ten... Or Big 12 is always going to be at noon, the best yeah. game. Then almost every... The college game day game is going to be 8. Yeah, almost you know, every... SEC is always going to be 3.30. Yeah, almost every team, you could find where... Uh, you could find them. Like, every major college, you can watch You can watch your game on Saturday. You can probably like, watch the whole game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. not talking about highlights. You can watch the full game. Whether it's streaming, whether it's your local television, whether it's national TV... You can find the game. Yeah, multiple screens. So there's like so now I think the reason why Burrow won by such a landslide, partially because he had an unbelievable season and it was unarguable in many ways, but also because like like everybody got to watch him. There's like no one who watched the other guys could make a case with the other guys based on what Burrow had done, and that's just like like Jonathan Taylor won the Heisman probably just because, or he didn't win the Heisman, but got a Heisman vote probably through you know uh, solely off of that Big Ten championship game. Right, he played. Big. Yeah, people and saw this guy and were like, "Yo, man, like he don't have the support like you know Burrow has. Like he got his team to compete against arguably the best team in the country by himself. Like I'm putting them in the conversation. So yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, like there are some people like, who like, should not be voting. Votes, I just hate the vote, the pity vote, the like, and, and not even like in relation to Tua. Like Tua had an injury, like whatever. But like the Jonathan Taylor, like. You, you want to put him in the conversation? Then vote him third, like vote him, vote him second. But like, like the people that didn't vote for Steph Curry, the people that the you know Gary Washburn voting for Melo over <laughs> LeBron, like that kind of stuff. It's just like, what are you like? What are you doing? But at least the NBA is not afraid to put names to faces or put faces to votes. I should say. Yeah, names I do think I do think everyone should be uh, noticed. Uh, and it's probably like eight hundred names at this point. So you're like. I'm sure they just don't want to do that. <laughs> it's a waste of time, but it's it's embarrassing some of these votes. Uh, apparently, the, the 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 guy who was number two now for the second biggest landslide in the Heisman is none other than I'm just saying himself, OJ Simpson. Yeah, I thought it, was, it wasn't Troy, but this is the biggest since Troy Smith. Yes, but biggest, but overall, OJ is second. <laughs> and anybody that if you didn't understand the joke, you, you, on Twitter that's his catchphrase. I'm just saying. Or, and hate hate Twitter world. That's how he starts every video. 
<laughs> but he had the biggest uh he had the biggest landslide win before him and then Troy Smith. Uh actually I wanna <laughs> unprompted, Kendall, I wanna give you the list of other people in the Troy Smith uh running in that landslide win. Wait, was Ted Ginn? Did, did Ted Ginn get a vote? Uh Ted Ginn, I don't was he on his team? He, I think he I think he was he hurt lost. most that year because he did not get a vote. Did Adrian Peterson? Well he um, was hurt. Yeah, he was hurt. Yeah, exactly. He didn't get he, so number bro. two was Darren McFadden, who Troy Smith got eight eight hundred and one first place votes. The second place guy, Darren McFadden, had only forty five. Uh, Brady Quinn had thirteen. Number uh, four was Steve Slayton. Steve Slayton, Steve Slayton, West Virginia <laughs> running back, and the fifth guy was Michael Hart. <laughs> Michael Hart, Michigan running back. Wow. Michael, Mike Hart? Mike Hart was fifth. Damn, yeah, I don't even know well, if he got an invite. They might have just add, they might have invited two guys. Like, <laughs> I'm both back in the time capsule. So who you think was the top three? So Troy Quinn, Smith, Darren McFadden, and Brady I think Quinn. those were the only three there. Okay. I, I know for sure Steve Slayton. They didn't get Steve Slayton no, no invite. <laughs> Man, I'm part of me wondering, was Mike Hart there? I kind of vaguely remember him being there. But I know for a fact. He, he might have been the stands. <laughs> he yeah, might have bought a right. ticket. Shout out to Mark Hart. I'm not. I'm not dissing. I'm just saying they they weren't inviting him to that. Not with Troy Smith getting 800 votes. <laughs> they weren't wasting their money on guys who they knew had no chance. Um, the always the saddest thing with the uh, with, with uh, the the Heisman is always seeing who who's the youngest Heisman winner there. And for now, it's always going to be Johnny Manziel. It's always unfortunate, but yeah. Uh, oh wait, he's not a uh, oh the youngest guy there. I thought you meant. I thought you meant something else. Yeah, Johnny Mizell will be the youngest guy. Yeah, like the, the youngest former Heisman winner. That yeah, because he has nothing to do. No NFL yeah. games. No, no, no <laughs> right now, it's been him and Tebow for like the last like three years. But and it'll continue to be those two for the next for the next five probably. But and that's in that vote, Kendall, the tenth place guy was tenth uh, place by far the best player of this group. Um, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, one he had one first place vote. Two, eight second place votes and three third place votes. That 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 eighth place vote was like, yo man, this guy. He's too I mean, nasty. They won six games. Bridget, I mean, <laughs> how they win six games? Actually, Holy, to, in fairness to him, uh, they won. In, in fairness to him, they won nine games that year. Oh, okay. This is the variety that guy got to vote. He's like, yo man, George Tech won nine games. Yeah. So. uh Shout out to Joe Burrow. It's funny, I was actually YouTube. reading an article of the uh, this is on Bleach Report of the top snubs of all time. It wasn't really a ranking; it was just ten different names. But one of them was uh, Marshall Falk at San Diego State, and I forgot who won it that year. It was a, I think I want to say it was Garrison Hurst. I mean, no, Garrison Hurst was second. I don't even remember who won. Marshall Falk ended up finishing third, I think. But uh, his team was oh Gino Toretta. Shout out to the U. Yeah, you know, Toretta won it. Won it. This is the year I think they beat Nebraska, maybe in the national championship game. But yeah, um, he like his numbers were were, were mediocre. And Marshall Falk's numbers, like he almost ran for two thousand yards, uh, but his team only won like six games. So uh, it was just crazy to, to, that they thought that he was like snubbed <laughs> <laughs> after only winning six, like not in today's day and age. Yeah, no never, way, no way would he be in the conversation. You know, it would it would stick on a six win team. Yeah, that's just like yo, this dude is so well, nasty. Running, well, when the are we ever going to see another non quarterback win it? I mean, we'll see yeah. it eventually. But yeah, I think a running back will get what, it. Again. What will it take? Like, what's the? 
Because there was no, I mean, Chase Young was in the conversation, but like it was going to be Fields, Hurts, or, or Burrow. Yeah, I mean, I think a, I think a running back will win it. I mean, Derek Henry won it in 2015. Um, I think feels I, like, I, I know it feels like yeah, it feels like a decade ago. I mean, I, and it feels like it's getting worse. Well, yeah, I mean, it was Derrick Henry, and then for him, it was a long time before we got to Mark Ingram in 2009. Right. And it was a and long was time. A of, then a long time before we got to Reggie Bush. You know, so. And a lot of non-run, not like I feel like everybody that's there is always a quarterback. Not even just like the first guy. It's I feel like it's the top three every year. Well, I argue that you know, post nineteen eighty five, it's been a quarterback award. All right. I mean, I think that it's you know, it's, got, it's, it's definitely got impress incre- increasingly worse. But like to me, like it's just it's been like in the eighty post the eighties, it's been a quarterback award. Like there was a what? point where between nineteen eighty three and nineteen seventy three. Every year is a running back. What will we see first, EJ? A true freshman quarterback win it or a non-quarterback win it? True freshman quarterback, I think, will win it. Wow. Yeah. You think it's more likely we get a true freshman quarterback than I, I think nowadays, That's a true freshman, these high school quarterbacks are so good now. I you think, think, so? that, you think we'll see it. I think That's a true freshman, yeah. I, think, I, I don't think it'll be that far from now. I can see a true freshman quarterback like signing to Alabama or Clemson, just being put in the perfect situation, the right fit, right team, and just give them the and just keys. yeah, and gave him the keys and he just and he just rides an unbelievable wave to the to the to the Heisman. I I, I think that that's more likely than a nine quarterback. I think I think those years will be rare. I don't think they're, they're going to be impossible, and I I do think that it will only be a running back or like a defensive lineman. It will. I don't think it'll ever be a wide receiver, which is already rare. Yeah. But I, I think that that's never going to happen. Now. We're talking about Jerry Judy. I'm like, no way, Jerry Judy. I don't think. You, 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 you get you get encapsulated by the guy's immense talent, but it's just like the odds of that happening are just it's just it's just impossible, unfortunately. The guy would have to be so good, and even then, I mean, it's. Manti Teo is the closest. I mean, Indominus Sue got very close as well, but I think Manti Teo got closer just because he played for Notre Dame partially. And because, like, he had that, like, quarterback on the defense kind of, like, image that, like, Indominus Sue didn't have. But, I mean, look, Chase Young, if he didn't get suspended, I think would have gotten closer. But uh, it is what it is. Um,. One topic that I wanted to that I wanted to talk about. Um, I know you want to talk about Drew Brees. I want to talk about Bronny James. That is oh, LeBron man. James Jr. Um, you know, it, obviously, he has talked about enough. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got uh, three over. I think over three million. You know, followers on social media. Um, you know, he's. Playing right now out Sierra Canyon as a freshman in high school in California, Southern California, and um, you know his games are televised almost daily on ESPN. Every game, almost you've got, they have like I think seventeen, eighteen games are going to be on ESPN, some ES, some level of the ESPN platform. Um, and this past weekend, he was out in Akron or Columbus rather, uh, playing a nationwide arena where the Blue Jackets play, uh, playing against LeBron's alma mater, St. Vincent, St. Mary's. uh, And 
I have to say, I was watching the game, and I just wanted to bring up the fact that I thought Bronny James was very impressive. And not necessarily, like, impressive, like, oh, man, like, this guy's number one pick. Like, he could be playing the NBA, like, tomorrow. Like, obviously, he's still a freshman in high school. But the fact that he played on that stage, uh, his dad sitting courtside, you know, Rich Paul and, you know, all the whole family sitting courtside watching him play. Um, and mind you, he's playing same as St. Mary's, no slouch. Like post LeBron, like they've been able to recruit like a lot of high high level guys, and they got high level D one guys on the roster. But and he's playing with you know McDonald's All Americans on his team. Zaire Williams is hurt, another top ten, five top ten guy. But B.J. Boston's on his roster. He's committed to Kentucky. Zaire Wade is also hurt. Uh, two Zaire's on the roster, but he was also hurt, so he didn't play. But so because of that, Bronny had more opportunity to to show out. And again, playing with BJ Boston, again, top ten players going to Kentucky. Bronny was the best player on Sierra Canyon. He was the best player on the court. Uh ended up winning game MVP, got the game winning steal and uh uh layup to win the game for Sierra Canyon. And the poise was incredible for a kid that 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 young. Um EJ, I know you're somebody that, you know, you've played, you've you've played high level high school basketball. You've played against mm-hmm. high level teams. I don't care, I don't care what his last name is. I don't care what his ranking is. If you see a kid who's a freshman in high school contributing at a high level on a team that is as good as Sierra Canyon it's incredibly impressive and it's a, it's it's an indicator that the kid's going to be very very good. Yeah. I don't know if he's, you know, straight out of high school NBA superstar good, I don't know. But he's going to play high division 1 basketball and he he looks like he's going to be a very good player. Yeah, I mean to me, you know, again, St. Mary's St. Vincent St. Mary's is one of the better high school programs in the country. That's a fair statement to say. Uh obviously Bronny's on a great team that's stacked, but he's the best player in a game featuring all the guys that are out there. Again, I agree. Take his name away. You would say this kid is going to be a high D1 player. Like, to me, like, I'm thinking, okay, like, if if Christ, we were playing against Christ the King, or Christ the King was playing against, uh, you know, I don't know, Lincoln, and Christ the King had a freshman who was the best player on the court, I'm like, yo, man, that kid's going to go high to <laughs> Like, there's no... Like, and, and I know, you know, maybe non-New Yorkers who listen to this podcast probably, like, they probably know Lincoln. They might know Christ King. Christ King is is probably one of the best Catholic high schools in uh, New York City. Maybe the best. It's arguable, I guess, now that Rice High School doesn't exist. You know, yeah. But, like, and then uh, Iona Prep's also a big school now, too. But... To me, like it would, like to me, like if I was a well, if I was like a high school player and that really? happened, like it wouldn't, like that's what we'd be saying, like yo man, they got a freshman on the other team who's the, who's who's the best player in this high profile game. He's clearly going to be a very good high, a college basketball player. Now, now will that happen? I don't know, but like to me, it does suggest that it does suggest that the hype he's getting is deserved because this hype is outrageous. It's outrageous for any kid. It's just it's it's too much, but it 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 does uh, somewhat validate. The idea that he is worth some attention. He he's not a nobody who's only right. you know, there because his name. He's a, he's a very good player. Yeah, people there. There's a the narrative that we only talk about him because he's LeBron's son. Well, that's yes, that, that is true. Like we only talk about him <laughs> on ESPN. 
like we only talk about it on ESPN and we only like go crazy and he only gets millions and millions of views on YouTube because he's LeBron's son. But like but there are plenty of former players' sons that we don't talk about. Yeah, like to put it, maybe, to put it simple, Kendall, uh, and it's simple for our audience. You guys know, and Kendall obviously knows. Um, Kendall is a a complete basketball recruiting connoisseur. He follows us day in and day out. Yes. And while it's a niche group, it's a large group. There are a lot of people who are like that, who are like Kendall. If yeah. Bronny James was not related to LeBron James, based on how he's played at Sierra Canyon, Kendall would know who Bronny James is. I would still know who Ronnie James. Right. I would still be talking about it. Right now, like, you, yo, you, you, you might not say, "Yo, man," like they need to put him on ESPN every two weeks. Like, but you would say, "Oh, yeah, I know Ronnie James. Like, he's really good. Like, he and he he can right. be, he's going to be like a guy that every school is going to be looking at. Like, that would be that would be unargu- inarguable based on how he's played. He's played. He's played high level AAU basketball. He's played the, the like I said, playing with other high level players on Sierra Canyon, and he looks better than a lot of his teammates. You you could argue he looked better than BJ Boston did, and that dude's going to be playing at Kentucky, going to be playing the league in two years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying be, uh, you know Lebroni is all of a sudden going to be uh, the next Lebron. I don't I don't know how he's going to grow. I you know he, if he's six eight maybe I don't know. But what I do know is that the kid is a, he's a real high level basketball player. This is not uh, this is not a fake story. This is not he's not a fake player. Let's get the let's get the flames and trash. Uh, I'll go first. My flames is I gotta give my love to my Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, number two in the country, a sweep of all of the top projected Pac-12 schools. They did that by uh, defeating Arizona this past weekend in um, a game in which it was people had their eye on the game because Nico Mannion is getting a lot of attention for. NBA draft prospects. And yeah, man. I saw Tankathon.com had the Knicks drafted Nico Nico Mannion at number five, EJ. Yeah, I mean he's he's been skying up the the, the draft shots because Nick. of how Future he's Nick. played this year. Nico and, Mannion. Uh, he went up against the best team on the West Coast and got completely and utterly shut down. Uh, he was three for twenty from the field, and um, that was an embarrassing was complete back. Oh yeah, because that almost threw the game away. By the way, uh, they they were handily up by about sixteen points with like three minutes left, and somehow they almost lost. It was kind of bizarre. But let's stress the positive today. Gonzaga is number two. They beat Arizona. That was after going on the road and beating Washington, and that was just weeks after beating Oregon on a neutral site. So three non-home games against the teams that people project to be one, two, and three in the Pac-12. Gonzaga beat all of them, and we just need I just need to give them that shout out because. As someone, I think Aaron Torres, shout out to him, college basketball analyst Fox mentioned. Oh, no, sorry. This was Doug Gottlieb. So, shout out to Doug Gottlieb. I mean, another they, yes, another same same job, same <laughs> same uh, company. I mean, we're talking about Cinderella stories. And I know that's, you know, pun intended with Gonzaga. But, like, for college sports, I don't know if there's a better Cinderella story than Gonzaga. And maybe they still need to get that championship to finally clinch it. But think about what Gonzaga was Boy, I before I Mark Few. That's kind of I don't know. No, I'm, no, I'm talking about the idea that like your like the come up is so is so crazy that like it needs to be like it's the it's the like in terms of overcoming odds. This is the greatest overcoming odds story in college basketball. It has I to mean, be. It's it's it certainly is incredible. 
Um, this is a powerhouse I, blue blood program right now. They are. There's yeah, no I, debate I, about people, it. People don't take people take it for granted, but I just feel like, look, Gonzaga is the only one that we've seen. This have this used to happen a lot. Gonzaga is the only one we've seen in the in the modern era. You know, but like you wait, see, explain, like, explain explain that this has happened a lot because I I'm well, ready I'll to fight this, you on this. I'll say it in the sense that like, you know, like what was UConn before Jim Calhoun? They were terrible. You know, Duke before Coach K had a couple of years, but like they were a lower major team. Here's like, what here's how, like that was my point. Here's the reason why I would disagree though. Like, before they get the Hall of Fame coach, they were nothing. Then the Hall of Fame coach comes, and now they're. A powerhouse. Here's why. I, but here's why I disagree that though, Kendall. Now, and say we we saw them. We remember them when they were nothing. Here's why I disagree. Because I agree. I knew you were going there. Here's why I think this is different. And I I definitely this this is big shout out to what Coach K did for uh, Duke. Big shout out what Calhoun did for UConn. Huge shout out what Bayheim did for Syracuse. Though he almost was my trash for his idiotic comments he said after that <laughs> loss against Georgetown this week. But he, he skirted that because of other trash I saw this week. Um, shout out to those guys for the, the unbelievable work they did in lifting their programs. Big difference, though. Those schools were supported by big money. Big money, big conferences. Right. What makes Gonzaga completely unique is this is a small school that really that has never been supported by big money in terms of a conference. And just recently kind of been has been supported by Nike in that kind of way. Like what made Syracuse and UConn, those schools big at that time also were the, the Nike's influence on those schools and the deals that Calhoun and Beheim, if you watch the Requiem on the Big East, they'll tell you about them. The deals they signed with those schools, they kind of started what we kind of with, with, uh, with, um, uh, what's it, or Sonny Vaccaro. Like, they kind of started what we have now, which is obviously yeah, corrupt and people yeah, are getting arrested. But, like, the sneaker associate with school and with head coach thing, it started pretty much with Jim Beheim. Like, he pretty, he honestly was the first guy. Him and John Thompson. Yeah, him, yeah, yeah Big J. So, so and that's not – I'm not slighting them for that. That that makes them a pioneer in their own right. But I'm just saying few pretty much had no support. Like, like what he established – was I don't want to say nothing is ever completely all your own, but like I don't know how he did this. Like this is remarkable. Like I know how because I follow the team year in year out. But like to explain it to you would take me forever, and I don't want to spend I don't know seven if... years doing this show. But like and the fact that Gonzaga in a year where they lost three NBA players, two guys in the first round, their fifth year senior quarter senior senior uh, fifth year senior point guard, and they're still the best team in the West Coast. They're number two in the country. They just swept the three best teams in the Pac-12. I mean, that's Gonzaga, ba- what, what Gonzaga I, what basketball. I, Again, think about Gonzaga basketball pre-Richie Fram and pre-Matt Santangelo. That sounds unbelievable that that could happen. Yeah, I mean, look, Gonzaga is... And look, I, I mentioned to you last week, um, they're, they're the favorites for two f- mega five-star recruits out of Minnesota, Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren, number two, arguably number one junior in the country. So, I mean, like, it, the future of Gonzaga basketball looks good as well. But, like, my point, though, is how do, like, 
because I think the biggest shift has been just been like their 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 talent pool is better than what than it's ever been at Gonzaga. Like they're getting better players. So the like where like where where and this is assuming there is no shady business going on, obviously, because college basketball when recruiting goes up, you always have to assume that. But uh, assuming that this is everything's above board, like like what like what has changed? So here's like, the- what are guys seeing now? That makes it that makes Gonzaga such an attractive location. So, so here's the thing that I and you know me and you we're just having this what we talk about all the time not on our podcast this kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, here's the thing that I feel like kids are starting to see, and they're starting to see it now because it's becoming you, you can't avoid seeing guys getting drafted in the lottery being like yo who's this kid? Like I he when he came into Gonzaga he was the 50th best player or the 80th best player in his class. How is he a lottery pick? You see that happen right. four or five times. Say, okay, hmm, something's happening. Gonzaga, to me, and I, 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 I put this down. I don't care because I've, I've watched college basketball closely. I've seen other programs. No other program develops its own talent better than Gonzaga. No one. Gonzaga takes dudes who look like decent players. Sometimes they'll redshirt. Sometimes they just won't play. Sometimes they will play, but just one off season with with their skills coaches their strength coaches next year the guy comes back and the guy's a monster i saw it with uh, Rui. i saw it with kelly olenic i'm seeing it right now with philip Petrusev. um <laughs> it's just clockwork at this point zach collins was a, a good player in high school he gets to gonzaga the guy's a top 10 pick it's 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 clockwork you go to gonzaga they they put you in their hyperbolic chamber you come out a monster and you're a high draft pick Kids are starting to see, yeah, if I I mean, if I go to Duke, I'll get drafted high because I'm going to be at Duke. But if I go to Gonzaga, I might turn out to be really damn good. Like, they may actually make me a much better player. I'm not just showing up and just doing my thing and then just leaving. Like, you might actually gain something with your game. I'm not saying you don't gain anything out of playing at Duke or Kentucky. But the level of development clearly isn't there with those other schools. What guy has those schools developed in the last X you amount know. of years? I don't know. Give you, I'll give you any amount of years. I can't think of anybody that I said, oh, this guy, he was kind of a middling player, or even a great player. And then he got to Duke, and he was, like, really, honestly, Zion was last year. Um, but besides him, like. <laughs> he developed Zion. He well, my point great. is that, like, my point being that, like, okay, this guy was a, a good player. Exceeded expectations. Exceeded expectations in a way that, that you have to give credit to the school. Like I'm not gonna right. not give Coach K any credit for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Willie Cauley Stein, you know, I mean, Calipari has guys. That, but like, but Willie Cauley Stein, like, yes, good player. But like, I, I just again, I'm 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 speaking to a level of development that I haven't seen from those other schools. I think kids now are seeing that at Gonzaga happen over and over and over again. At a certain point, like. And again, I can't speak to what's happening above board or, or below board. But to me, at a certain point, you're just like, I mean, what's the difference between living in Lexington, Kentucky, Durham, North Carolina, and Spokane? Well, yeah, even they're even all they're all them. nobody places that love basketball. Well, it's going to be the same. And they're both all big stuff, programs. Like everyone on some level, everyone's cheating. So like you assume that there's a level playing field. It, you know, if Duke's offering some guy a hundred thousand and Kentucky's offering somebody a hundred thousand, like. The guy still has to make the decision which school he rather go to. So my point is that look, maybe Gonzaga's offering guys a hundred thousand also, but like, why are they going to Gonzaga over Kentucky? 
you know. So I'm telling you, it's, it's it's I think these play. I think I think finally I think I, you know few has put dipped his toe in the water with these bigger recruits and struck out. But I think him getting getting in the room with these guys, yeah, you get in getting the room, the visits. Yeah. Now kids start to talk about their experiences talking to Gonzaga, even this kids that didn't get to go. And that that helps you. And, guys, then, put, and yeah, those guys go to other schools that don't do as well as Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's going to Final Fours and Elite Eights and National Championship games. They're number one in the country, number two in the country. Uh, oh, yeah, or, or kids end up transferring, like, you know, Nigel Williams Goss years later and then going to the National Championship game. Like, again, people see this stuff, and they're like... At Woodrow, was like, yo, I'll go to Kentucky. I'll, I'm, I'm going to go to Kentucky over Gonzaga. Doesn't like it there. After winning the National Championship, transfers to Gonzaga. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the perfect example. And he got to, yeah, and he got to an Elite Eight. So, and, you know, gave himself a better chance of being an NBA player because he became a star like Gonzaga. Yeah. Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark was with North Dakota State or whatever he was. Or San Diego State. San San Jose State. San Jose State. Guy becomes a first-round draft pick. I mean, this this program is just just remarkable. And I think I just wanted to point that out of them beating Oregon, beating Arizona, beating Washington, traditional powers. The kid from France, point guard. When he when he committed to Gonzaga, I mean, you didn't know what to think of him, but like, he had had some nice moments in France, and he had a little bit of fanfare, a little bit of hype. Kid red shirts doesn't really play the last couple of years. Now you look at the draft board; he's at the end of the first round. Yeah. After playing, this is his first time playing college basketball. He's been on Gonzaga for three years, and finally they play him, and now he's a first round pick. People are paying attention. I mean, where did he come from? I'm th- he was always there, but like few and like, and that's the one thing also that few draws a lot of credit for is that he picks the right kind of kid that he knows that he can develop. Because like again, that's the thing. Like you say, the recruiting got better, and while I agree with that, it still doesn't equate to how this school is still not recruiting as well as Oregon and and even any of the teams they just beat. Oregon, Washington, um, what's the other school? Uh. Uh, uh, in Arizona, but so but this year they obviously the number two recruiting class in the country. But before this year, they weren't recruiting as good as those other places. They were recruiting well, but those other places were getting one and done type guys. And Gonzaga right. routinely is an elite program. Those schools are this year good. This year out of the tournament. This year sanctions. This year you know first round exit. They're all up and down. Like it, like. There's something different about what Gonzaga has done, and that's why I just wanted to give the shout out in my fling to Mark Few in that Gonzaga program, because to see them pull that off in a year that's supposed to be a development year, basically, and they're number two in the country, and it, you, you sit here today and you're like, if you're talking about the teams that can win national championship, nobody, I think, before the season was going to mention Gonzaga really, and I would have understood that as a Gonzaga fan. Now you can't, you can't not mention them because. They're the best team on the whole coast of, of the United States. It's quite remarkable. Anyway, what's your flames? Well, uh, if you're going to, you know, pat yourself on the back as a Gonzaga fan, I'll pat myself on the back as a Memphis fan because uh, my Memphis Tigers, EJ, got a huge win on the road. I haven't talked about them since uh, the James Wiseman suspension scandal, non-scandal uh, that he got suspended for 12 games for. Uh, but update. We just got a huge win on the road at Tennessee, uh, the bitter rival. Obviously, last year, I believe we talked about the whole Rick Barnes, Penny Hardaway, beef, 
you know, you asked him about it at AAC media day, he kind of just laughed. But, um, you know, it was, you know, obviously those guys had a, they had a real kind of, it was, it was some real tension, you know, between those two programs. And it was, I thought it was good for college basketball and it's good for the rivalry, but, uh, you know, even when, as far as Penny had to, Penny kind of borderline apologized <laughs> for the way he handled himself last year. But, uh, regardless, Memphis came out with a win in Knoxville, uh, and is now, I believe, seven and zero, unbeaten uh, since losing James Wiseman to suspension. Um, it's amazing considering when Wiseman got suspended, the Tennessee game was the game that fans, media, everyone in college basketball had wrote off as a loss. Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, Memphis just lost James Wiseman. Now there's no chance they're winning at Tennessee. Will they beat Ole Miss? You know, will they beat NC State? Like those are the questions that were being asked. You know, they beat those teams. Um, and mind you, none of the games have been pretty. Like they only they like they beat Ole Miss by a couple points. They beat NC State by a couple points. Like they were down twenty at UAB, came back and won in the second half. Like and they were down big in this game against Tennessee. So they haven't won these games easily. Could have lost this game as well, but. Um, it's it, it does say something about a team that you've come out and you've won all these games, uh, without your best player and without Leslie Quinones, who's another starter, uh, top five player on your team. It, it, it suggests that when you when those two guys come back, particularly Wiseman, uh, who when he played looked <laughs> incredible, uh, this Memphis team could be very dangerous. I mean, they still have a game against Georgia at home on CBS against Anthony Edwards without Wiseman. Uh, and they still play Wichita State, who will likely be ranked when we play them on the road. That'll be our last game without James Wiseman. And if they win those two games and they can go the rest of the schedule unscathed, uh, the rest of the schedule without Wiseman unscathed, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to run the table because that's not going to happen. But, you know, could they, like, this could be a team with two or three losses all season. And... It's, I mean, it. I mean, it's just crazy to me that like, like Penny Hardaway and and Mike Miller and the entire staff have done an excellent job. Oh, with, sure. with that. With that team. Yeah, mean, there was a, guys that we we questioned whether or not those guys could coach because mm-hmm. they were AAU guys and NBA guys, former players. But you know, I mean, Penny Hardaway has done an excellent job getting those guys ready to play every week. Yeah, I was just about to say if there was any question about whether or not you know Penny can actually coach, maybe we. we you have to throw that out now. I mean, uh, we know Memphis has talent, but you're talking about a team that's all freshmen and sophomores, basically, and losing their best player, a guy who's a top three or four type NBA prospect with a bunch of players who aren't expected to be top three or four guys. Maybe one other guy, maybe a lot of you picking pressure is true, but everybody else, regular kind of college players, but very good college players. You expect a lot of pitfalls. You expect the, you expect that kind of thing to fall apart, quite frankly, when you lose that kind of firepower and you're so young. And the way they've handled it has been remarkable. And just like Gonzaga, I have to give the same credence to Memphis. Can you argue? Can you, if you're talking about a team that can win that championship, how can you not include Memphis at this point? In my opinion, yeah. I don't think you can. I think you have to include Memphis in that conversation. They're one of the 10, 11 best teams in the country, and they're playing without their best, right. best player and another starter. Right. So you get this. And the, and the best player is not just like, oh, he's like he's a good player and he'll be a good addition. He's like he changes the entire landscape 
Right, he's the of best the entire team. Basketball. He's the best guy in his position. Like they're like there the Memphis has been one of the best defensive teams in the country. Yes. Right now this season. Like and they did an excellent job against Tennessee this weekend defensively. And they were doing that without arguably the best rim protector in right. the country. Exactly. You know, like what how, how does that defense improve when you put James Wiseman in the back? In the back of that defense. I mean And what's been impressive about this run, Kendall, is these aren't they're not blowing in these games that are against competitive teams. They're not blowing these teams out. They're winning tough, competitive, close games. Right. They're showing a great deal of poise, a great deal of... I mean, I think that Tennessee game, I, I thought they were going to get blown out. I mean, they started the game. They couldn't buy a basket. And they, their offense looked completely inept. And I was like, this, is, this isn't this is going to go well. This is one of the toughest places to play in the country, and they're having massive issues. Just just not turning the ball over. You know, it was, just, it was a big issue uh, in that first half. And to see them manage that, Tyler Harris hitting big shots, kind of steadying the team. Yeah. This, this is a serious the program. Have, they have a lot of weapons. Yeah. Man. You know, a lot of guards. And then, like I said, once you get, once you get Wiseman back, I mean, it, it's going to, they're going to be a tough team to beat. I mean, we're going to lose games because, like I said, we're young and guys, guys are just going to have bad games. But, like, I felt like when I was watching, and Tennessee's a top 20 team. They're, they're not bad. You know, they didn't play well, but, they're not a bad team, but I watched that game and I said to myself, "Man, like we just we're better than this team. Like we have more talent. Like our players are just that much better." And I'm saying that without James Wiseman, who's that much better than everyone else on our team. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I you know he's gonna have to come back. He's gonna be rusty. You know, obviously the team's gonna have to stay healthy, but. You know, this could this could end up being a very, very, very impressive season for Memphis. I'm excited. And hopefully, I'm glad because that positive momentum, you know, that whole scandal was very negative for the program. Heard us in recruiting for a little bit. But, you know, I, I think as the season goes on, they will regain the, the positive momentum we had. And then we have this ESPN documentary, which has been very good as well. Um, yeah, I had to check that out, by the way. Um, yes, it's very good. Trash this week. Rob Manford, uh, MLB commissioner, and this this is bad, Kendall. This is bad because this is one of MLB's best weeks of the year. I didn't hear. I haven't heard about this. Yet. Oh, so I love Why? when we have a who's flames, uh, who's trash story that you haven't heard of. So this is outrageous to me that he's coming up because this is supposed to be one of MLB's biggest days, weeks of the year. It's the hot stove season. Big players are being moved. There's a lot of excitement around the game, and rightfully so. And it was partially shadowed this weekend by a public spat that Rob Manfred has led Major League Baseball in against minor league baseball. So, for those who are not... Keeping, I work in minor league baseball, so this should be fun. Yes. Oh, so this actually is great. Because you would be a great insight on this. So, there have been long negotiations between Major League Baseball and minor league baseball regarding changes that need to be done they basically i didn't even know i learned so much about this uh through his idiocy in the last two days but uh but you know i i I didn't know before but basically they've been under contract with mlb and they have a, a working relationship with mlb that allows you know these teams to have for lack of a better term you know you know minor league clubs i guess i can't i don't know how they say it but um, to have farm systems, you know, farm systems, yeah, facilities and farm systems that are that they're using 
through this minor league system that is minor league baseball. It's it's it's, it's, its own league actually. You got a you know single A affiliate, double A affiliate. Right, exactly. And that contract is up, and there have been a lot of talks about uh, Major League Baseball looking at the numbers and looking at what minor league baseball has done and realizing that there need to be changes. Uh, Manfred earlier this uh, this uh, year or a couple of weeks ago actually um, po- proposed uh, they cut 42 teams from the minor league uh, minor league lineup, basically it's teams that weren't making a lot of money that were just you know kind of added fat that they could uh, lose because the issue that they've had is that these minor league organizations aren't run very well. Players are vastly underpaid. Um, facilities aren't great. Again, a lot of these places don't make a lot of money. And Major League Baseball has been looking into ways to improve that because, of course, we're a capitalist society, and if you don't make money, you know, goddamn your uh, your tradition. <laughs> we're going to find a way to fix it. And Manfred has been a guy who, of course, has come in and has tried to modernize the game and, 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 and find ways to innovate what baseball is doing. Well, uh, when that list came out, it upset Rob Manfred, and um, he kind of took it as a as a, a as a um, basically kind of like a, a, a act in poor faith by minor league baseball to leak the list, which you know garnered attention from big politicians who came out in a bipartisan way to say that this was unacceptable and they didn't like that this was happening. And Manfred, after uh, tense and ba- apparently uh, unsuccessful negotiations with MILB. Came out and said, you know what? We may just be done with minor league baseball in the near future, based on what's happening. Uh, he said, end quote, in a statement, if the National Association of Minor League Baseball Clubs has an interest in an agreement with Major League Baseball, it must address the very significant issues with the current system at the bargaining table. Otherwise, MLB, base, MLB clubs will be free to uh, affiliate with any minor league team or, or potential team in the U.S., including independent leagues and cities which are not permitted to compete for an affiliate under the current agreement. Kendall, it takes a special kind of person to make minor league baseball owners look like the good guy in negotiations (laughs) regarding improving your facilities. I didn't think it was possible because all the facts are on major league baseball side. They don't make money. The facilities are terrible. They're not, the, the organizations aren't running well. The players and the staff are vastly underpaid. You would know that for sure. Yes. And yet Manfred, with his my way or the highway, come in with a bulldozer type tactic after already complaining about minor league baseball negotiating in the public, throws, as the LA Times put, this brushback pitch saying we may just end minor league baseball as we know it. And now we'll just work through independent leagues and teams will we'll go through teams and cities that don't even have minor league teams and just make them up. And and that will be the minor league system. And this obviously caused a massive panic this weekend of minor league communities who these companies, a lot of these teams drive small communities in terms of revenue and interest. And they're an institution for a lot of these places. And of course, there are issues and they need to be addressed. But to me... I talk about a profound lack of leadership to me. I can't believe Manfred in which in a situation where he clearly has the high ground as long as he treads lightly, out of just to me purely out of pure ego, went AWOL on what whatever the strategy was that MLB had in their negotiations, 
and tried to say we may blow up and make minor league baseball, and just it just blew up in his entire face. People um, came out so strongly against Manfred and uh, and his comments, and now the context that he was trying to put together about um, uh, for the the context for why there's an issue with minor league baseball is lost because he he usurped all that with his with saying we are gonna get rid of minor league baseball, which is a result that nobody's asking for. Nobody wants it. Nobody thinks that's a good idea. And he already has this reputation of being a guy who doesn't respect the, respect the tradition of the game. To do this, make this callous kind of statement because you're upset that they made you look bad, it's just poor leadership, man. So for that reason, uh, Rob Manfred is trash. Any quick thoughts on this, Kendall? Since you, were again, worked at the minor league team for a while. Yes, I mean, it's... Uh... By the way, no dis- I, I my commentary was not about the Lehigh Valley Pigs. I love the Lehigh Valley Pigs in my uh area in Nazareth or in, in Allentown. But um yeah. but, but that, that, I don't know I don't think they run poorly or anything like that. That was just an overall blanket statement, but um but <laughs> but, but, uh, it, but to me it is ridiculous cuz that's the kind of situation where a team like Lehigh Valley Pigs that are super iron pigs that are super uh People are invested in it and people love yeah, it. People yeah. go to the games and you're going to make a statement like that when they've done nothing wrong. They've done everything right and the fans are going to the games and they have interest. It, it showed, it was just, it was just outrageous to me. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's it's never a good look when you're the, you're the, you're, you're negotiating from the position of power and you're like, you're, you're, you're also negotiating in bad faith in the media and you know down talking the other side it's just it just seems like you know it's like why kick the little guy down already you're like you're already you're major league baseball you have all the resources this that and the other thing like say so you're negotiating from that position of power what, what's the point of of like then using the media as a tactic to blast minor league baseball further it, it it's not you're not going to win any brownie points from anybody you're only going to look like a bully so it's i don't know I see where you're coming from. And that's the thing. Is that, like, again, it's not to say that these minor leagues are are totally innocent in their complicity with the poor state that minor league baseball yeah, is there, Yeah, there's certainly franchises that probably don't need to be, and no, no disrespect to any specific franchises, but there's probably some that don't need to be around. But there are some that, like you said, are deeply, deeply ingrained in the community and mean a lot to the people because we have to remember you know in our in our pillar you know mainstay metropolitan cities of course there's going to be a lot of professional sports teams but there are plenty of places in the united states that don't have plenty of cities and communities and areas that don't have professional sports teams absolutely and the midwest yeah especially in the midwest and these, these minor league Sports teams, whether it be in, you know, the AHL or the G League or, you know, in minor league baseball, these teams act as the team. If it's not a college team, it's going to be that team um, for that community, for that town, for that city. So um, they can't be, they, they you know, you, the, the value of them can't be overlooked because... Uh, to a lot of these cities, they mean a lot, especially also just in terms of jobs and stuff. Yeah, man. Um, I, I would know. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's and, and we he ain't gonna do this. That's why this was so ridiculous. It was like no, you you ain't gonna right. do it. Nobody believes you, and you just sound like like you say you sound like a bully. Like you just sound like you just sound like you're being unnecessarily throwing. You sound like you're unnecessarily throwing your weight around in a situation that doesn't warrant it. Like okay, yes, your contract is up in 2020. But that's a year from now. Like you can negotiate. Like the idea that you're gonna throw that nuclear bomb on. May, arguably millions of Americans, I would say. Like, that's probably fair. That yep. there are a million Americans will be affected by you getting rid of minor league baseball completely and just changing it and making independent teams and making up new teams in whole different areas and saying that those are your new minor league systems. Like, that would uproot millions of Americans, and you thought that was going to go over okay. Again, to me, profound lack of leadership. And I think Manfred has gotten unfair heat for 90% of the things he tried to do. That's why I couldn't believe he did this. Because I'm like, I know you get a lot of heat for stuff that's not your fault. And I think you most of the things you try to implement in the game are actually really good. It's just your your fan base is like kind of archaic and you can't really please them. They're kind of like Star Wars fans. <laughs> but, man, like, way to play right into their hands with something that was so much of a layup for you to figure out. And you messed it up. So, uh, he was uh, trash for me. What's trash for you, Kendall? Trash for me is uh, North Carolina basketball. Um, they honestly they could have been trashed last week, uh, but uh, it's more fitting now because they're coming off another loss. Uh, they had lost last week to Virginia um, and felt I believe that that dropped them to six and three um, and out of the top twenty five. Well, they compounded that this week with a loss to Wofford at home, uh, not in the Dean Dome, but in whatever other <laughs> arena they have on campus there uh, at North Carolina. But um, Cole Anthony did not play in that game because he uh, is going to be out for four to six weeks after having arthroscopic knee surgery to repair a partially torn meniscus. Uh, so they... Instead, started K.J. Smith, son of Kenny Smith, uh, at point guard. And unfortunately, that did not do much for the program. As Again, like I said, they lost to Wofford at home. Uh, and honestly, which was a loss that was not surprising. Once, if, if you would have told me that, I, I, I could have picked Wofford to win that game yeah. with Cole Anthony. I agree. Not, yeah. You know, so if you told me Cole Anthony wasn't playing, honestly, they only lost by, at least, I think they only lost by like five or six. So, like probably a good performance but uh, against a good Wofford team but um why weren't they playing the deal the what was the deal yeah, with the from what I remember uh I, I was watching college football or something they had an ad for it but uh I believe there was some sort of graduation ceremony ah uh, okay that makes sense okay uh, which I'm like who did the scheduling for that <laughs> I don't know if it was intentional or I don't that couldn't have been intentional but um regardless uh it, obviously, an embarrassing loss for the program. Um, they dropped six and four, and they have Gonzaga, the aforementioned Gonzaga Bulldogs, coming up this week. And in Spokane, oh, good fans, well, <laughs> Anthony, uh, that could get bad. Um, I, I mean, it went from a game that I, I couldn't wait for all year to now, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a game that a lot of people had had, had circled on the schedule. Yeah, you know, um, nice, you know, Cole Anthony in North Carolina going to the kennel, and I was like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't even know if I want to watch it. 
how bad North Carolina is right now. I don't know if they're going to make the tournament. You know, Cole Anthony being out for four to six weeks right now has him pegged to return uh, mid-January. That would be before both times they played Duke and against Virginia. So uh, the second time they played Virginia. So he won't, if in theory, he won't miss any games against Duke if he comes back in the timeline that is projected, which is good. But still, uh, doesn't look good for the NFC tournament hopes. No, and and to me, Kendall, the the schedule that's left before Cole Anthony's return, there are no cupcakes. Like all the cupcakes they would have had are gone. So, because to me, even the teams, even the non conference teams that they have, um, besides Gonzaga, uh, UCLA, you know, obviously they've been up and down, but that's not a definitely not a cupcake without uh, Cole Anthony, um, and and Yale, not a definitely not a cupcake without Cole Anthony. Yeah. Um, and then the teams they have in conference, while these aren't the powers, you know, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Clemson. Again, they just lost to Watford. So yeah. <laughs> all these games are at best toss-ups to me. And so when you're talking about putting together a, a tournament resume, yeah, they're in, they're in a situation where they got to survive. This that's and, it. They got they got to survive. If they can win half of these games, I think that's their best bet. And then you got to hope that when Cole Anthony comes back, you guys can go on. They can go on a run. But now we talk about this every year when somebody gets hurt, but. Do we think Cole Anthony's coming back? I saw people, I saw Duke fans, like, you know, basically telling Carolina fans, keep that same energy that y'all had with Zion Williamson. I want y'all to keep that same energy because you know, I guess Carolina fans were very loud about Coach K being reckless by bringing Zion back. Um, yeah, I think we will. I don't think he proved enough that to me. He didn't play well. I'll, I'll, uh, that's I'll, a bold statement. As somebody that you know, you know, likes scouting these guys whenever I watch them, and likes following these guys' numbers, and not know not only what I have to say, but reading what other people that also follow this stuff, you know. But how much of it though was him say, dealing with the knee injury? I mean, I mean, obviously a lot of it had to be because he. I mean, the last couple of games he's been wearing a knee sleeve, which yeah. is uh, something I noticed. I didn't. I mean, guys wear you know accessories all yeah. the time. You well, during, know before the Ohio State game, which I watched, I mean, they said that he, was, he had a knee issue and he was late coming out of the tunnel. And right. He kind of didn't so know like, he was going to play and he played. Yeah, and he played clearly miserably. he'd been dealing with stuff. But his finishing at the rim has been shaky. You know, his shooting has been, like, his shooting is actually, like, from deep has been better than I expected. But, like, you know, his free throw shooting has been a little worse than maybe his numbers in high school suggested. Playmaking has been... Very below average. I mean, his assist turnover ratio is like the same that Cam Reddish's was, mm. which was not good last year, um, to say the least. But it, it, not to say that I don't like Cole Anthony as a prospect, because I do. I'm just saying he hasn't played yeah, up to par right. where I think he should be. And, you know, and a lot of it, I don't think it's even his fault. He plays on a terrible team. Yeah, Carolina's not good. Not, that's that's the one no thing help that's very him. And But this is something we talked about. I mean, we did a whole YouTube video where these guys were going, and, like, Cole Anthony very much seemed like him and his inner circle, you know, his dad, whoever, they seemed very set on, we're going to get Cole Anthony on a team that there's no one else around. Yeah, so he it's his show. I mean, the teams he was talking about, remember, it was Georgetown and, 
it was. I mean, Oregon was probably the best team he he could have gone to. But I don't think he wanted to share the backcourt with. But he didn't want to play with Pritchard. That's why he didn't go there. Yeah. But it was Georgetown, Oregon, Notre Dame, uh, Miami. Yeah, those are are all terrible teams this year. You saw a terrible team. Yeah. And North Carolina, the way it could look good, but like he would still get the same, <laughs> the same usage rate. Yeah. But now we see the 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 struggle, and honestly, I think they looked at what happened with Trey Young, and they thought, well, we we should do the same thing. And I don't blame them because Trey Young ended up going in the top five, and Cole Anthony in theory is better than Trey Young, quote unquote, uh, at least coming into college. But it's it's dangerous. Because, you know, when you don't have help, you're much easier to guard. Exactly. And when you're battling a knee injury also, uh, that also doesn't help that you don't have other guys to lean on. And they're leaning on you to even to to lift these guys up. It's not going to be easy. So um, hopefully Cole gets back healthy. But I do agree with uh, with your assessment that Carolina is in trouble. And um, it ain't going to get any easier with this game with Gonzaga tomorrow. And uh, it will get easier after that. But, again, without Anthony, again, to me, every matchup they have now is a toss-up. And and at best, you know, some of these games are losses to me. Virginia Tech's a loss to me. That's on the schedule in this stretch. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's It doesn't look good. I can say that for sure. All right, Kendall, let's wrap this show up. What we got for Kendall's Court? All right, so Kendall's Court. Um... Obviously, EJ, when we do Hero Talk and Imperial Broadcast, we do a lot of movie reviews and a lot of discussion about uh, the hottest movies out there, you know, blockbuster movies. This weekend, we've got uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker coming out. Listen to our review on that coming out very, very soon this weekend. Um, But uh, that'll be on the Imperial Broadcast. Obviously, Hero Talk, we talk about movies every week. We don't normally talk about movies on Sports Talk, EJ, but I'm changing that this week. Oh, so, okay. we, so not only is Rise of Skywalker coming out this weekend, EJ, but we will also have um, Uncut Gems uh, coming out. Uncut Gems is a movie uh, that is starring Adam Sandler, if you haven't seen the, uh, the, the, pr- the, the promo for that movie. Uh, Idina Menzel of Frozen uh, fame. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Julia Fox, and none other than the big ticket himself, Kevin Garnett. Um, now, if you haven't seen the trailers, you haven't read anything about the movie, uh, it's essentially uh, about a guy who's, you know, I guess some sort of uh, jeweler. He's, he's, a, he's a New York City jeweler, and, you know, he... He ends up getting involved in some sports betting uh, situation or mess, and you know Kevin Garnett's involved. It's very vague what the movie is about. It's definitely about it's about sports betting. It's about uh, New York City. Uh, it's about jewelry, and it's about basketball. Uh, so, and Kevin Garnett is apparently the he's the number two co-star of the movie outside of Adam Sandler. Um, this movie is getting rave reviews from people that have seen it, people that are at the premiere, and uh, it's directed by Josh uh, Softy and Benny Softy, uh, who are now kind of putting themselves in the mainstream in Hollywood. Uh, and Adam Sandler getting looked at for an Academy Award with this movie, and uh, really 
kind of re-legitimizing his name as an actor. But um, I had to bring this up because obviously, look, this is a it's a sports movie on on a on a certain level, and Kevin Garnett's playing himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing the 2012 KG. Um, they were initially they initially wanted the first guy they wanted because the Softy brothers are they are Nick fans. They are New Yorkers. They are Nick fans. The first guy they initially wanted when they crafted this a decade ago was Amari Sadamar. Oh. Uh, which makes sense. If you watch the trailer, yeah. I could see Amari Sadamar doing the same thing KG's doing. But the first guy they wanted was Amari. Whatever reason, they moved off that. They aimed higher. They they then they wanted Kobe. But then they realized Kobe, he doesn't want to make he doesn't want to act. He wants to make movies. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, probably a little he probably aiming a little too high if you go for Kobe. The next guy they went after Kobe, who they reached out to was Joel Embiid. Your schedule didn't work out, he's an active player. They realized doing the active player thing doesn't work. So then it came down to they talked to Chris Bosch and they also met with KG and they ended up going with KG. But uh it should be interesting to see how this movie plays out. But I'm I mean as a Celtics fan, as a huge KG guy. Uh, as a basketball fan in general, apparently, you know, I've seen basketball people say this is a movie for basketball nerds. I imagine. Like, just as much as it is for Hollywood critics. So I'm excited for this movie. Yeah, I plan to see it at some point. Yeah, man. Shout out to uh, to to the uh, to the softies and shout out to Adam Sandler. I mean, you talk about a career resurgence. Uh, I think for a lot of people, he was a punching bag. And that's unfortunate. I don't like it when people who are legends become punching bags like it's never i don't know it always gives me a bad vibe like i feel like eminem has kind of become a punching bag for a lot of people uh i can't think of anyone else off the top of my head but those two guys in particular like these are legends and when people start clowning legends even if they're deserving because of their their work isn't as good i still feel like the level of respect that needs to be had and i get adam sandler has put together some doozies recently, but like shout out to him for like taking this role and doing a, a unbelievable phenomenal job. I mean, to me, if you saw the trailer, you follow wrestling. I was thinking there's another guy that uh, <laughs> who, the Undertaker. Oh, the Undertaker. Oh yeah, the Undertaker. And we like wrestling fan. He's <laughs> Goldberg. Those both yeah, those Goldberg. two guys is a combination <laughs> of people kind of t- they're punching bags now because they don't perform though. I guess people wait. They, people think they should. And again, to me, I think there's a level of respect we need to have for legends when they're trying to still do their thing for the love of the art and for the love of the fans. Um, so, so I never like to see that. So, Adam Sandler doing this role, and if, again, to me, if you saw the trailer, you knew this movie was gonna be crazy. Like this, yeah. sometimes you could just see a trailer and you're like, yeah, this. Like, I, and I saw Logan, I saw Joker. You know, certain trailers you just see, like, yeah, no, that's, you saw, um, you saw, uh, 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 Get Out. You know, like sometimes trailers out, oh, yeah, no, that's gonna be. That's the trailer for this movie is is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I watched it again today, and I'm just like, man. Yeah, it's one of the best trailers I've seen in years. So like, <laughs> it's a really, really. It's good that trailer. good. I'm not saying that as a sports fan. I'm just saying movies. Period. Like it's just, it's that tra- that trailer doesn't get you invested or interested. I don't think you have a pulse. Like it's right. it's gonna grab your attention. So, uh, shout out to all these guys, man. And and to me, like yo, shout out to sports movies because like we don't have a lot. I feel like sports movies was like a foundation growing up and now since moneyball which i was ironic because that was like an academy award type movie like what was the last like 
highly invested sports movie. Uh, well, um, that was I a mean, true look, sports we have, movie. We have like a, a real sports movie. We have Space Jam coming up next year. Yeah, I know Space Jam's coming out. That's that's gonna be a huge one. But uh, I mean, we had Uncle Drew, and you know, I didn't see that. Thank God. Um, <laughs> we, we had Uncle Drew. Um, trying to think, you know. Uh, I just feel like growing up, there was like, I mean, in the nineties, like. There's a bunch of sports movies. Like, there's, there's, like I can rattle off ten, you know. Right. Like, like it's like now. Like, I'm thinking yeah, about like the sports movies. You know, like in the we had the mid 2000s. We had you know We Are Marshall. We had yeah. you know Invictus. Coach Carter. Uh, Coach Carter. Right, and like they weren't bad. These are good movies. Like, why did they stop? Moneyball. Like the problem is that post Moneyball, they're just like you said. There haven't been many. Let me let me see if I can pull up a list real quick. I'm trying to see. Like to me, like something to me when something that ha- that happens, there's some kind of trend or some kind of thing that happens in Hollywood that changes the dynamic. Because how did we go all these years with sports movies? I mean, I know we year? had Grant. We had the the terrible Thunderstruck movie. That was a kids movie, but it was a sports movie. Oh, but like like to me, like yeah, you had to, like. It's to me, that's why I say, like, a movie that they truly invested in. Because that's what I said. Like, Thunderstruck, I don't think anyone really, really <laughs> invested it. in. Money-wise, and attention-wise, creative-wise. Like, there was no... Like, yeah, they did a movie, but nobody invested in it. Like, again, I remember when sports movies, like, people invested time, money, energy, and they really went for it, which is why they were great movies. And, it seems, and what's strange is that, like... You said money will happen, and it seemed like no one did anything all, after that. It's all documentaries. I mean, it's a lot of these are thirty for thirties, but well, documentaries, and, gotten, documentaries and like you'll find your occasional biopic. But documentaries have certainly found a new wave in this new generation. That's the right. question. Like the yeah. last five years, like documentaries have been people love documentaries. Yeah. Docu- Netflix and all the streaming services, like they they've found a new life because they documentaries were not nearly as big when I was like a teenager. Like that right, wasn't really yeah. a thing. Like and that crazy, was being like the nineties. Like, people my age and younger that love documentaries. I know, and I mean, I, I mean, I like your good sports documentary, but I'm not like outside of that. I, don't, I could care less. Yeah, the genres um, had a boom. Yeah, uh, Concussion was a sports movie. That's right. Um, Let's go. Concussion and Draft Day. Kevin Costner was also mm-hmm. a sports. Movie. And those were 2015 and 2014. Uh, and then outside of that, I mean. And uh, somewhere in there has got to be uh, Blindside, but I don't, I don't know how long that was. Blindside's way before that. Mm, yeah. That's nine. Yeah. But yeah, after Moneyball. So like, That's crazy. I mean, again, I remember a time where, forget about sports movies, it was like a baseball movie every year. I know, right? Like every single year. And you know what's Big funny? Big League, was Major League, Angels in the Outfield, Field of Dreams, like obviously not in that order, but like those joints went out every year. <laughs> A baseball movie, a real baseball place, <laughs> like every year. You know what was funny, you know funny about the Blind Side? I was talking to one of my friends here at Temple, and we were talking about we were talking about the Heisman, mm-hmm. or we were talking about probably Joe Burrow or whatever. And you know, eventually we started talking about Coach L, mm-hmm. and like you know how Coach L has his, his raggedy voice or whatever. Yeah. So he was like, hey, this 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 kid's not like a huge sports fan. He's a sports fan, but like not like. Someone that you expect to even know who Ed Orgeron is. So when he mentioned Coach O, he was like, "I was like, you know who Coach O is?" He was like, "Well, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. I was just watching The Blind Side. That's how I kind of that's how I know how he sounds like. I was, I forget that Ed Orgeron yeah. is in The Blind Side. Yeah, I told. So it's funny you mentioned that because I was trying to explain <laughs> to my girlfriend the 
like the allure of Coach O. It's kind of hard to like it's to and as you would know, like to do that, like it takes time because <laughs> he's a very yeah. like interesting dude. And part of my story was explaining that he was in the blind side and like how right. neat that was that for a guy who at the time I think he had been fired by or Ole Miss at the time, and yeah. he decides to still play himself in the movie. And 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 how it was very important that he did like it, it added authenticity to the movie. Um, and to me, it just spoke to like everything about Coach O. Why I, I I I he's one of my favorite figures in sports right now. Like that told me a lot that like he yeah. went to do this movie for a job that he was no longer doing because he obviously. Probably because it was being in a movie and that would be really cool. But also, a lot of it had to be because he, he truly did love that family and love Michael Orr. And, and yeah, I don't know. For a lot of people, I think there are a lot of people who will probably be reintroduced to him being like, why did I feel like i seen that guy from somewhere? And it's going to be because he was in an yeah, Oscar-nominated so movie, you know, um, a lot, that a lot of people have seen. But, yeah, it's crazy. Him and Phil Fulmer are the only actual real, I think, head coaches in that movie. Shout out to Phil Fulmer, who, who was in that movie. That was like a random... That was even, To me, that was almost even bigger. I was like, this guy didn't get Michael Orr. And he still was in the movie. Yeah. He had, to, re, he had to relive that. He had to relive that, like, visit with, like, you know, the mom hating Tennessee. Nick Saban was in the movie also, right? Saban was in it? Oh, I think he was in it. I forgot well, in what way. But yeah, he and he was... Yeah, I think he was in it. I feel like it was like a video or something like that. Yeah. Maybe an interview or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he, like... Interacted with any like the main actors, but he he did have a part in it somewhere. Yeah, but like Coach O and Phil Fulmer did home visits, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Coach O, man. That dude's awesome. I just he's gonna he's gonna take over right now. Like Dabo Sweeney last year, kind of looked like the guy that was gonna be like the the biggest name in college football. Yeah, Coach like, O is, is coming for that spot. Coach O is he came out of nowhere. Yeah, he's from left field. Yeah. But he looks like he can be the guy that's going to take it from Saban. Like, he's going to take it from Saban in the gonna, South. Like Sweeney, Sweeney's cool, but like I don't think players like and they look if you look at Clemson's recruiting class, like it's ridiculous. But like I just from afar, I just can't imagine players like want to play for Sweeney as much as they'd want to play for Coach O. I get the impression that Sweeney is just very, very likable and very engaging when you, like, actually meet him. Right. Like, I don't think it's something you're necessarily going to see in an interview or on TV. Because to me, he's toned it down. When he first got to Clemson, he was he was kind of like Coach Joe. He was kind of a wild man. But yeah. he, had, he had no choice. He had to, like, he had to, like, just get attention. Um and then, then they started actually getting those players, and then he just completely toned it down. And now he's like, you know, I, I'm not saying he's faking it, but, like, now he's just, like, wholesome Christian Southern coach. Uh, but, like, I get the impression that, like, he still probably is that guy if you, like, hang out with him, which is why like, players love him. But Coach O, like, there is no toning down that guy. He's kind of like Rex Ryan. Like, he just is who he is. But, like, now he has, like, an infrastructure that, like, is really solid. And that personality with that infrastructure is going to be a very, very dangerous thing for anybody and in this region. Was that? No, like an elite coordinators. Position. That's what I'm saying. That's what I meant. That's that's part of the infrastructure I was talking about. Like the coaching staff, the money in this program, the talent pool, the recruiting area. Like the infrastructure is perfect. And with his personality, 
I mean, again, God help everybody in that area, and I'm including Nick Saban in that. We mix. we talked about uh sports movies. Uh, two more we left out were uh, Forty Two. Our boy. Uh, oh, Black. shout out! Great movie. Gary Wilson, but and uh, Creed. Oh Creed. yeah, yeah, Creed. That's a good Creed, one. Creed too. Yeah. There's, so there there have been big... movies out, but it's, it's still not the same. It's not the same amount. It's not the volume. But there are movies. You you are right. Creed is the one where that. I mean, that was like a blockbuster. Right. That's the thing is that I feel like that. Was, but the rest of these kind of haven't been like Uncle Drew. There, there was that wasn't one that was made to be successful. That was just made to get to be out there, but like Creed was the one. I mean, they made that one to you know make a yeah, lot of yeah. And it probably Creed, didn't make a lot. Yeah, Creed is a franchise, and right. and not to say that all those movies that we named earlier in the nineties and stuff were franchises, but again, there just seemed to be a lot more attention, a lot more money, and just a lot more of them. Even the ones that were smaller, like in like Little Big League, and like like that's not that wasn't a huge movie, but like there seemed to be a lot more invested in those movies. A lot more time, a lot more energy, and again, it's just a lot more of them. And it's crazy that we're in a point where it's like we don't have any now. But um, hopefully that changes with Uncut Gems. Uh, go see it. Apparently it's dope. I'm going to see it. But I think that's a good place to wrap this show, guys. So I really appreciate you guys hanging out with us on this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. Of course, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also catch us on YouTube, New Generation Media, where we post not only uh, new videos, but also um, segments of this podcast. So if you feel like I don't, you know, I can't listen to the entire show, there might be a segment from the podcast that was really good that we put on there that you may like to hear. So make sure you subscribe to that channel, New Generation Media, on YouTube. Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm on at uh, Twitter, at New Generation me at EJ underscore Stewart, you know, Instagram at actually EJ. This, uh, our whole operation here is also on social media. Facebook, you can find us, uh, New Generation Media, and on Twitter at New Generation Pod. Again, thank you guys so much for listening in. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It was fun for me, uh, and I'm sure it's fun for Kendall. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.